And today's scripture reading is from John 8, 31 to 47. So I can do this. Um, let's see. Okay. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you, if you owe to my teaching, you're, you're really my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants, and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you're looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the father's presence and you're doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you're looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You're doing the works of your own father. You are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I have come, from, I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you're unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not owed in to, to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet, because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is is that you do not belong to God. May God bless the reading of his word. Amen. Thank you, Abby. And thank you guys for actually listening to Abby, asking you to settle down relatively quickly. That was great. Um, I don't know if you heard it. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free is a powerful statement that Jesus says here. I, I think it's important for me in this moment to let you know that this is the intro that will be finalized on March the 6th. So there will now be one long teaching between now and March the 6th because it's all built around prayer week. So what we're going to hear today and then what you're going to hear next Sunday as we launch prayer week and then what we go through all that, that week of prayer and fasting culminated by the teaching on March the 6th is for you and I, number one, that we, that, that we reiterate the simple Christian principle that we must learn to pray. But then we continue to say it takes great effort. And so am I willing to put in the effort? And then we want to come out of it saying, well, if prayer is such an important thing, do I have the strength to rise to this occasion? Because every generation, I believe, has had people that have prayed that generation through. When we first moved here to Baltimore, there was a sweet elderly lady that sat on the porch up on Chester Street that um, attended a church not far from there. But she literally sat outside and out loud prayed for the community every week. It's 
there are people that I believe that have really began to embrace what prayer is all about. And they are doing work for us that you and I can't even imagine. And so we're going to be taking time and you might be asking, okay, Ellis, this is great. We're going to be taking three Sundays and a week of teachings. Really, what is the benefit of us doing that? And I just want to summarize it with a simple statement. The statement is this. We need to learn to pray because we are capable of believing lies. I just want us to let that just rest on us just for a minute because you and I can believe a lie. And, and if, if, there's, if there's ever a cultural moment, like there are so many ways in which injustices are still playing out between people of different skin tones. There were conversations that I had this week with elderly older white people that still think that the work of Dr. King was completed and they don't understand what's happening today. And the issue is, is that there's ways that lies get in no matter your phase of life or how young you are, how old you are, whether you're rich or whether you're poor, whether you have a lot of education or you have no education, we're all susceptible to believing a lie. And there are people that actually know that. One of the, like right now, there's a huge tension on the border between Russia and Ukraine. There's tension between the border of the American line and Mexico. There was even tension between us and Canada. It's like, that's a thing, <laughs> you know? And so there's so many places, even in, in nations in Africa right now, and even nations that are islands and they're separated from other places, there's tension. And one of the ways that people that are doing evil in this world the way that they can continue to cultivate tension and, and create evil in the world is by lying. And when you lie, you can mislead people. You can get people to do all kinds of crazy things. So in preparation for prayer week, back in the end of the summer, I came across a book that was written by a guy named Ivgravius Ponticus. He's an Egyptian. don't know if I said that right but it dates back to the 4th century A.D. And um, back in 2009, I had the opportunity to go to Egypt for two weeks. I had a chance to go out into the desert and uh, visit a monastery that they dated back to the year 40, um, where they believed the disciple Mark had come and carried the gospel and had spent time there praying for the people of that region. And so I'm in this. I'm blown away, but it's in the desert region of Egypt that this particular man decided to go into the wilderness to take on the devil. Like we do. I can't tell with the mask on, like how many of you really got that? Like some of you right now look like you're really upset with me. <laughs> Others of you, I can tell that that, that that made sense to you. But this particular individual went into the desert because he had read Luke chapter 4, which we're going to talk about next Sunday, and saw how he took the devil head on, and he wanted to go out. And, like Something had to be wrong with this individual, like that he would make that his fight. But he did. And the word started to spread, not through social media, but through word of mouth, that this particular individual was winning. Like what must have been happening around this particular man's life that the reputation through and around Egypt was that this crazy individual that went out to do battle was winning so much that people were hearing about the victories. And so people would then come out to the wilderness before GPS 
to try to find him. Like, I've lost friends in Patterson Park. I couldn't imagine stepping outside of Cairo, Egypt, where the topography is the same for hundreds of miles. Sand. And somebody saying, well, I'm going to go find him. I mean, goodness gracious, were they not relying upon the Holy Spirit to help them find a man that was winning a battle against the devil? And so he became so sought after that people were coming to him by the droves to be a spiritual guide, which I just want to say to you, does that not resonate with last week, Second Kings 2? He was an Elijah to Elisha's and people were coming out to him saying, is obvious fruit in your life that you have learned to pray and attack the enemy. And we want you to teach us. And one of them, one of his bravest young seekers was a, a, a man that I just want to say, call him Loki, but it's like Lo, Lokius, you know, it's like the Egyptian form of Loki. Um, but he actually, before this wonderful monk was about to die, he asked him, would you please write down what you've learned so that we can pass it on? And he wrote a book. Now listen to the title of the book. Talking Back, a monastic handbook for combating demons. You can buy this book. It's powerful. And from those of you that have been paying attention to some of the communication that we've been sending out, this book is what's inspired the theme for our prayer week this week. Because the title and the theme and the premise behind our teachings is, do we know how to talk back? Are, do we feel equipped? Like a lot of us think prayer is solely me saying, God, this person's sick. I need them to be healed. Or God, I need a job. Or I have an interview. And we only know prayer in this petition. Like, God, I know you know what I need, but I'm asking for this. But in reading this book and crying through this short little book, that's it's, it's short, but it does take a while to read because it's a translation of languages that are old. But what I found was that this book inspired me to want to expand the way in which I pray and to learn how to find my prayer requests. Because a lot of us, like I said, when we finally do sit down to pray, it's more transactional. There's food in front of me. God, thank you for the food in front of me. It's transactional. This afternoon at one o'clock, I have a a very important Skype with uh, something at work. Would you help me through that? Like it's. But what I have learned through this wonderful monk that believed that he could follow in the steps of Jesus is that there are ways that we can form prayer lists that we're not tapped into yet. And he entitled it Talking Back. But in the book, he uses a, a word that's in the Greek, is like this logismoi, I don't know, it's a proper way of saying it. But um, the word actually means this, thoughts, thought patterns, internal narratives, internal belief structures. So he was writing about praying and his word choice was a word that says my thoughts, my thought patterns, my internal narratives and the internal belief structures. And I thought, wow, what a way for me to now learn how I ought to be praying. What am I thinking about? And what am I thinking about so much that it's shaping my patterns? And, you know, this particular monk is credited for being the originator of the phrase, the seven deadly sins. 
So when we go back and we see Hollywood movies or we hear books or we hear the phrase, it was this particular monk that stepped into the wilderness, the desert, literal desert, to be like Jesus. And when his Elishas came around him, they walked away and they said, this man taught us how to attack the seven deadly sins. And this is a quote that he says in the book. They were not just thoughts. They were thoughts with a malignant will behind them. Think about that. Let that chew on you just for a minute. A dark animating force of evil. Not many of us think about our thought life as a malignant will. Not many of us think about the thoughts that we had with such a way that there could be some deeper intent in our thought life to destroy us. But let me get to John chapter 8, because that was all just intro for now through March 6th. This is one of Jesus's most famous interactions and teachings. But to my conviction, I've only taught on this passage once in the last 14 years. I've spoken on the Sermon on the Mount. I've spoken on the Lord's Prayer. I've spoken on the death, burial, and resurrection narratives in the gospel dozens of times in the last 14 years. But when I go back and look at the spreadsheet that outlines all the teachings that we've done in the last 14 years, which we have one, um, I've only spoken on this passage one time, but most commentators believe it's one of the most important and powerful teachings that we could ever give. And this is what I just said to myself this week. Don't kick yourself for it. Realize that God has brought us as a church to this text in this season right now for a reason. Because if it's something that was routinely talked about, I don't think we would listen. Because a lot of times it's in the familiar that we just kind of zone out. That's why the room, I wish we could set the room up different every week so that you'd come in and be like, oh, wow. Like, this is different. What's, what, what's new to expect? Some of you walked in and were like, I got used to the whiteboard. Where is it? Where are the posts? Like last week, Albert looked like he was framed on stage because the whiteboard was gone, but he looked like one of those wedding pictures. We should have been holding up signs like, hi, I'm the drummer. You know, it's like, it was just, but now it's all gone and you're like, what's going on? And I'm like, but when we step into this room, it shouldn't be just familiar. It should be celebratory. It should be, I'm anticipating something really big. And John 8 is really big. Because there's so much truth in it for the church, in our city, and in our community, and for us right now. Because I do believe that we need to measure our thoughts. And some of you I've been having some of these conversations with um, quite intently recently. And I want this to really get into what we're talking about. Because the context of John chapter 8, Jesus had just told his followers this. If you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. So he didn't say, if you know my teachings, you really are my disciples. He said, if you hold to my teachings. And I believe there's a strong difference between knowing and holding. Because to me, knowing is that that little narrow path in front of me is the way that I should go. Holding is walking that little narrow path, knowing that it doesn't look like it's going to hold me. But it is because that's what Jesus said for me to do. And I know he's going to 
take care of me, but I'm going to trust and obey as I go down this narrow way. And I was just a poet. I'm going to stop there. All right. So the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, immediately respond with antagonism. How many of you have somebody in your life right now, no matter what you say, they antagonize you? All right. A couple of you were willing to admit. My mom is online hitting the like button right now. But here's the funny bit about the statement. They're antagonizing him because they say we are Abraham's descendants that have never been slaves to anyone. And I just want to say to these religious leaders that hold to the Torah, how can you say that and have the book of Exodus in your repertoire? Like, listen, like how many of us in an argument wanted to believe or wanted to win? And so we lied. And this is what the Pharisees are doing. They knew that they were claiming a heritage that were an enslaved people. And they were going to say, we've never been a slave to anyone. And then Jesus so graciously goes on to explain, I'm not talking about your socioeconomic, your social slavery. He says to them very specifically, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. So all, like, I don't believe Jesus is like reclined somewhere. And like Zeus, like lightning bolting insults. Like, well, you, you're slaves to sin. Like, I think he's really trying to teach them. I think he's like, listen, you're missing the point. Let me, let me keep breaking it down more and more for you. And, and so they are so antagonistic. Listen to what they do. They elevate their anger. Now, have you ever been in an argument with somebody that believed a lie? And the more that you talk to them, the angrier they got? Enter Pharisees, part three. We are not illegitimate children. Can I tell you what this word actually means in Greek? And I don't generally use this vocabulary and I need to be careful. And I won't use the word because there's children in the room. And some of us really aren't ready for that. But we generally refer to an, an illegitimate person with something that kind of ends in turd. Um, you got me? Thank you. And so here, listen, I want you to hear this. This was not a friendly conversation. Like they just went nuclear in their vocabulary on Jesus. And here's the thing. We're not the illegitimate children. The reputation of your family is, is that your mom slept around on your dad. Because nobody would believe in a virgin birth. Like this is a direct slam on Jesus. All Jesus is doing right now is trying to get his disciples to understand. You got to hear me. And you got to hold to it because, and now we're getting to the reason because, and listen, what goes on here. They got so upset. The only father we have is God himself. And Jesus couldn't take it anymore. Not saying he sinned, but he got frank, like blunt. And he says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires he was a murderer from the beginning. Let me just ask 
Do you remember when he really entered the scene? Do you remember what he promised Eve? Oh, surely you won't. He didn't stick her with a knife. He didn't put a noose on her neck. He didn't shoot her. He did what to her? And it did what? Cost her her life. Lies can kill. Lies can kill. Not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. Speaking of the evil one. When he lies, listen to this. He speaks his native language. This is powerful, folks. Because generally, lying is a language of an individual. And the evil one's a master at it. For he is a liar and the father of lies. So let me point out three things from this passage that we're going to now shape for the remainder of our prayer week. Number one, I want you to understand that Jesus does believe in the devil. I didn't capitalize it because I don't think he deserves to be called by his real name. Okay, I just want you to understand, I don't, Jesus didn't give extra value by calling him who he was as the fallen angel. And I don't want to do the same. But I do want you to understand that there is a rumor around the globe that he doesn't exist. And if you fall into that category or are teetering towards believing, maybe there's really not an evil one. All I want to say to you is, is that Jesus believed that he was real. And then he goes on from this passage. The devil's end goal is to spread death. That's his goal. And then the devil's main way of doing that is not nuclear warfare, is not famine. Let me just say this. Generally, the places around the world right now that are deprived of food is because somebody else has believed a lie. I just want you to understand that. It's not that famine is doing the damage. It's lies. People are like, I can't send what I have. Or I'm going to ignore that. Like, I don't have to look that way. Like, it's a lie. So many times we have, there's more than enough to go around but it's the lies that are continuing to kill. So let me start. Jesus believes there is a devil. The Greek word for devil actually means to slander and to accuse. So the word that is the early church used was a word used to describe what he does and how he does it. He doesn't necessarily rise up to kill you. But what he does do is he says, you think you're a child of God. Let me slander you right now with all the things I know about you. Let me bring up all the mistakes you've made. You think you're a child of God now? Like he's the, he's this accuser. That's like having a younger brother. Mom. You know, and, and that's unfortunately when I was younger, I was that younger brother. My brother hit puberty about two years before I did, and he shot up really big, and I was still really scrawny, and I was like the little chihuahua dog just barking all the time at him. And there were so many moments where my objective was to do nothing but accuse my brother of things that he didn't do, or if he did it, I wanted to exaggerate it. Let me just tell you, the father of that activity was not the father in heaven. The father of that activity was I was susceptible to the lies of the evil one. And I was adopting my behavior to look like the father that I was actually following. And that was the behavior that was within me. 
And I had a lot to deal with that. And so not only does this name define the central character of who Jesus believed that the evil one won, was, he, Jesus, actually gives him credit for having some real intelligence. I want you guys to hear this. There's a powerful statement in next Sunday's teaching that I would just want to let out right now, but I can't. So you have to wait, or at least watch next week. But notice three times in John's gospel, Jesus refers to this evil one as the prince of this world. Now, this is first century. This is not just a simple, I'm a prince. This is a powerful, I have authority. In the Roman world, if you had that title, you had people that were subject to you. You had geography that was yours. You had the ability to establish rules and laws and influence over these people. This isn't just some really cool hipster name that God wants to assign to the evil one. Thank you for putting that thought in my head, Andrew, earlier. We were talking about these cute hats his boys are wearing. He's like, they're going to be hipster looking kids, you know. But it's like, this is not just a cool title that we're supposed to have for the evil one. This really does show that Jesus believed prior to his resurrection that the evil one had power in this world. And we'll talk more about that in Luke chapter 4 next week. And so the second thing, the devil's end goal is to spread death. The exact words of Jesus. He was a murderer from the beginning. John 10.10, a few chapters from now. The thief, another name for the evil one, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. So when he shows up at a party, you're not thinking, wow, I wonder what he's going to do here. You already know. I am coming to steal, I'm coming to kill, and I'm coming to destroy. There are no other options. There is no, oh, an easier route. That is solely what he's looking to do. C.S. Lewis actually says this. So anytime we want to, want to really prove something deep and intellectual, we, we, we go to C.S. Lewis. And then he says this. There is no neutral ground in the universe. Listen to this. This is a big metaphor, metaphor big picture. There is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God. And listen to this encounter claimed by Satan. And if we deny that. We are going to have three things happen. Something will be stolen from us. Something will be killed or something will be destroyed. When we deny what the enemy wants to do, or we deny that every step we take, there's a counter force trying to knock us off the narrow path. There's a voice saying, ah, you really can't trust. His goal is to steal, to kill, or to destroy. How many lies have cost people jobs? How many lies have cost people marriages? How many lies have cost siblings years and decades of relationship? Lies, not truth. Lies have come in to steal, kill, and destroy. So the devil's main means, which we've reiterated, is lies. The origin point of deception. That's what he wants. He wants us to believe a lie 
so that we don't walk in the full person that we are designed to be in the image of Jesus Christ. The context of this story is in the midst of an intellectual debate about truth and lies. I want that to sit on us just for a minute. Jesus talking to these Pharisees about who the father of their life really is and the language in which that father speaks and the language in which they've adopted because they've already lied saying they weren't a pe- uh, an enslaved people when that is already a part of their history. Like he, Jesus didn't need to prove them to be liars because right out of their mouth was the overflow of the language that was inside of them. But in an intellectual conversation about obeying the words of God, which Jesus was claiming to be, listen to my words and obey them, became the number one antagonist towards obeying and staying firm and holding firm. If you look at Paul's letter to the early church, the language was you put on the armor so that you can stand fast or you can hold on Because the language all along has been, as soon as you take a step in the kingdom of God, there's a counterforce wanting you to take a step back. And if we deny that and we don't learn to fight that, we are going to be incredibly frustrated. We will want to deconstruct our faith. We're going to want to deconstruct our relationships. We might even want to physically get violent. How many times has the sin of the church in the generation preceding us and the ones that we should be looking up to right now in our country as Elijah's, but their response to things they don't like in the name of Jesus is violence. So the goal of this morning's talk is that we agree on this. Our fight with the devil is first and foremost a fight to take back control of our minds from their captivity to lies and to liberate, liberate them with the weapon of truth. That's what I'm just wanting to say. This is the foundation for everything we're now going to be going through. So if you only come on Sundays, the next two weeks, you're going to get a, a good amount more information on this. But if you're able, whether in person or online, to participate with us through the prayer week and the teachings we do every night, you're going to get a little bit more as we take on the seven deadly sins. Because if we're not careful, let me just, let me give you one. We're going to talk about gluttony one night. You guys, which night? I'm not going to tell you in advance, okay? Um, But one of the most popular ads on TV right now for people for a weight loss strategy other than Weight Watchers is which company? Say it. Noom. What does Noom claim is different about their weight loss strategy? Changes your thinking about food. Dallas Willard says this. So if it's not C.S. Lewis, you quote Dallas Willard and you're really smart. Dallas Willard says this, we truly live at the mercy of our ideas. We truly live at the mercy of our ideas. So, how, so why do we need to learn to pray? Why do we need to understand that the devil is real and his language is lies? Why do we need to understand that we are not immune to believing a lie? Let me just tell you why. Because who wants to be stole from? Who wants to experience destruction? 
Who wants to be dead before you're dead? Like, why would we want the outcome of the father of lies to win victory in our life? For me, there is no better motivation for us to learn to pray other than I don't want to be stolen from. I don't want to be killed. I don't want to be destroyed. And so I am going to step into the presence of God because I know that if I go to where he is, those things will not follow me. We want to have life. Jesus said, I'll one up you. If you listen to me, you will have an abundant life. Now, here's the hang up. Many times we equate abundant living with lottery winning. Where you have no financial needs. You have no shelter needs. And matter of fact, you have all your wants. That's not abundant living. Abundant living is you knowing confidently that you've heard your father in heaven speak to you. And you, every night you lay your head down on the pillow, you know that you did what your father in heaven wanted you to do. That's the definition of abundant living is to know that the creator and the sustainer, the one that has ensured that every morning, whether it's cloudy or there's no clouds, the sun is where it's supposed to be, has said to you, I want you to do this. And when you do it, you do it well. Where was Paul when he wrote the famous passage that we've been on in Ephesians 3 every week, the last couple weeks? Where was he located? In prison. Not cable TV, not air conditioned, not three meals a day. Most likely he was in an area where there were multiple holes in the ground with grates over it and a whole bunch of other people in, imprisoned like him. And he had joy in his heart because he knew that because of where he was, the gospel of Jesus Christ was going forward. Not many of us would call that abundant living, but Paul did. And he couldn't wait to get his freedom because he wanted to get to Rome because he knew that God wanted him to get to Rome. And so he was headed there, but he knew all the other stops along the way, God was going to do something powerful. So the life that you and I want is a life of obedience to God. And the enemy knows that. And the enemy is going to lie, cheat, and steal as much as he possibly can to get you and I to not trust and obey. Let's pray together. And before I pray, I'd just like for everybody just to kind of keep a quiet posture. If you need to look at the floor, close your eyes. Even those of you watching online, I don't want you looking at me. I just want you to have a moment. Would today be the first time you've ever trusted? Or is it the thousandth time that you've trusted? Because I really do believe that the evil one doesn't care. His tactics are the same. But I would just say to those of you that are in the room that are considering Jesus, would you let today be the first time where you would just say, I have doubts, but something in me is telling me this is true. So Jesus, help me with my doubts and help me to walk in truth. Could that be your simple prayer today? And for those of you that have been here and you've prayed a thousand times or 10,000 times, could your prayer be, 
I'm not susceptible to believing lies. Lord, help me to walk in truth. Father, for the person that's praying to you right now for the first time, I, I rejoice. Father, help us to set a good example for them. And Father, for those of us that have prayed a thousand or 10,000 or 10,000 10, times, Father, I pray that we would walk in truth always. Father, thank you for the ways that you've provided us victory that we can't even imagine. But Father, we don't want to willfully put ourselves in danger. So Father, help us to control our wills. Forgive us for the things that we've done intentionally. And Father, would you please forgive us for the things that we've done unintentionally. Father, we want our thoughts to be your thoughts and our actions, your actions. Would you let that be so? And we pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Guys, we usually use this time at the end to prepare for the Lord's table. And I left my cup over there. So, son, would you um, pass me a little? Okay, literally, thank you. Um, uh, but while we're making sure everybody has one, can I just take a minute and receive some questions? For those of you that are watching online, if you want to type that in to the chat, I, we can address that later. We can't real-time it. I think you're actually on a three-minute delay. Um, but uh, we want to address them. And so right now, I just want to give us a minute for some questions. And I knew, Michelle, I knew your hand would go up. So what, what, do, what, what questions do you have for this subject today? Mm. Yep. Yeah, we're going to deal a lot with that in the next three sun, two Sundays plus the week. But let me just say this for your friend. It's less talking to the devil and tell him to leave her alone. Because, and I used this illustration before, so let me share an illustration. It's a sporting analogy. I'm sorry. I used to, we used to travel to watch my son play hockey. It was a joy for us. And the times I enjoyed it the least, besides when they were getting blown out, the times that I enjoyed it the least was when his team had a lead by multiple goals going into the last two minutes because the other team knew they were going to what? Lose. And the only victory they could carry off the ice was to do what? Harm. So cheap shots go up in the last two minutes because it doesn't matter if you go in the penalty box at that point. Game's over. You get, a, you get to sit down and relax a little bit early. And the enemy, the other team, knew they were losing. And they're going to go to their locker room kicking and screaming. That's what the enemy is doing, period. And you'll find next week that there's a powerful phrase that I'm not going to say right now. You need to listen. But Michelle, for your friend, it's not about you talking to the enemy. It's about you talking to your friend. They have to be holding their thoughts captive because the enemy has no power over them other than what we give him. 
And so if that individual is believing a lie, you have to show them the truth and get them to believe a truth. And everything else is what we're going to be talking about the next couple of weeks. Okay? Yes? Yeah, and I knew that you were going to head there, but I also want to say that you have to take baby steps before you can run. Yes. Go ahead, Nick. Yeah. Uh, well, number one, he hates God. I don't know what happened to, as the Old Testament describes him as Lucifer, the angel of light, the, the, the language could be broken down. The chief worship leader of the choir of heaven decides to say, I don't want to sing about you anymore. I want my own praises sung. And he convinced others to follow him, right? And so there's this spiritual warfare that took place that in our human language, we, there is just some sort of hatred towards God that is beyond our wildest imagination. And when you, when you can't get at the one that you want your attentions to go towards, you go after the ones that look like them. So military strategy in the world today, if we can't get the enemy dictator, we go after his family, right? Until he's forced to concede or we eventually find him, right? Um, It's the same way with the evil one. We bear the image of God. And so he's taking a shot at God by going after his children. That's my, my simplest way of trying to break that down. I do not fully, cannot fully articulate why he doesn't still believe in God, our father, the way that he, what I would hope. That to me just baffles my mind. And one day we might get a better picture of it. But somehow he let jealousy and envy and all that get inside of him and rotted him to the core. Any other questions? Okay. Let's stand up together. I don't know if you caught it in my prayer at the end, but I did pray about the things that we've willfully done and the things that we've also done that hasn't. Because here's the thing, this is, this is even part of racism that was on display this week. I don't know if you saw the video that took place in the mall in New Jersey where a, a, a young white boy and a young African-American kid got into a fight in the mall. And when the officers showed up, he tackled the African-American kid, just pushed the white kid into a sofa, handcuffed the African-American kid, but let the white kid sit comfortably. And the kid's looking around like, but if, if you look at the video, it was obvious that it seemed like the white kid was antagonizing the fight. There are willful sins, and then there are sins that we don't know until we get a chance to go back and look at the film. And we all do it. We all struggle with something. And a lot of times that struggle is against skin tone, prejudice. A lot of times it is economic. Us between people that have houses and those that don't have houses. There's so many places in which that shows itself. And we've got to be careful that, that in the family of God, that sin doesn't get into us. Because Jesus said, I've come for you to have life. Jesus says, I've come to forgive all sins. Jesus says, I've come so that both... Jew and Gentile in an expanding fashion around the world can come to know the love I've received from my father in heaven. And so when we come to this simple little wafer and this little glass of juice, this is a reminder to us of the great faith 
that was on display in Jesus Christ. This is an example of the truth of everything we could ever want to be taught about laying our lives down. How do we fight lies with truth? How do we love one another? Like we're getting ready to take a simple step um, with a fragment of a piece of cracker, but yet the power of the truth of this is beyond our wildest measure. So would you take this up and hold this up to one another? And if you can break it as a reminder that Christ's body was broken in your hand. And I believe we have the words on the screen for you to say out loud to one another. But this is his body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of him. And then we come to the cup. When Jesus passed this cup around to his disciples, he's like, look, this is a cup that's a symbol of my blood being shed for the forgiveness of sins. And let's remind one another right now that is because of Christ's blood that our sins have been forgiven. This is his blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And let's join in to the proclamation of the mystery of our faith. This is, this is when it all changed. This is when the Prince of Peace took on the Prince of this world, and the Prince of this world lost the world. So Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Um, just a couple of quick announcements. We're having, we're having a little bit of problem with our app in the Apple Store. Not the Android users, but the Apple Store. Um, our team is working hard with our supplier and the Apple store to get it resolved because that is going to be our main mode of the ways that we're going to get materials out for prayer week. So pray that we don't have to go to plan B. But if by chance something happens on the app, we are going to put things on the church Facebook page as well as the church Instagram account. It will be on my personal Instagram and uh, Facebook page as well. Um, we're trying to keep it out in platforms where you can go get it. Um, so be watchful for announcements. But next Sunday, we're going to start our week of prayer and fasting. This week, we're going to be getting some information out to you. Um, I would love for as many of you to be able to sacrificially participate. And here's my ask of you this time. There are no social media fasts in Scripture. It was always associated with food. So would you measure your health and measure your food and just form it into the fast this week? Try not to just make Netflix your fast. Let's just make it a given that we're going to give up time on things so we can spend more time with God. But that's not fasting. That's discipline. Fasting is us literally giving up something because we know that Jesus is what we really need. So that's my encouragement for us. So here's our benediction. Let's extend a hand towards one another if we can, please. As we go from here today, may we understand that it is a fact that we can be misled to, misled and lied to, and we can believe lies. But let us also understand that Jesus came to set us free. He gave us the ability to know truth and to be able to walk in truth and to have freedom from all lies that are looking to keep us in bondage. So let us walk in truth this week. And may God's grace and peace be with you. Thank you guys so much. We love you.